Welcome everyone to Moving Mountains. This is Sasha at SashaTalks.com. Today joining me in conversation is the author of a nonfiction autobiography that touches upon the golden nugget of life, family, honor, values, and history that is nurtured through the views of culture, faith, and individual life choices. In the book, My Life as a Lemon, The Memoirs of Me, author F.M. Ellis addressed us Bay in today's conversation. We'll introduce us to her world while growing up in St. Louis prior to her life unfolding to where she is today. Welcome, Faye, to Moving Mountains. Thank you for having me. How are you doing, Sasha? I am, <laughs> I am doing well. I got to enjoy the tidbits that were shared in your book, My Life as a Lemon, The Memoirs of Me, which is yes. self-published. Yes. I noticed that there's a lot of sharing that you do about sensitive topics, but before we delve into it, you started writing the book back in 2011 and finally got to fulfill that goal of publishing the spring. What was the journey like? And at any point during the journey, did you have second thoughts that you didn't want to go through with finishing the book? Well, the journey was long <laughs> and tedious because I couldn't complete right, complete my story as a memoir until I stopped living that part of my life. Um, so it could just be a story, not nothing I was currently going through. So the pauses was because I was still going basically through hell. And they say, when you're going through hell, keep walking. So I just, I was in the process of walking. So I was, my inability to share what I was currently going through, as you know, I don't think I could have conveyed it and touched and moved and inspired people while I was still in the fire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I had to kind of graduate and um, have a testimony as opposed to, you know, um, conversing trauma. And um, it, it, that story was always in me from a very young age. It wasn't until maybe around 2008, 2009, um, when different crazy things would happen to me in my life and I would share with my immediate circle, you know, some things. I'd be like, just wait till the book come out. I just kept saying this. And then all of a sudden one day I was like, okay, I got to write this book. You know, because what is this? What did this verbiage come from? Wait till the book comes out. Come out, you know. And so I started writing it. And as the reader um, reads along, because it's in chronological order, they'll see why there was some breaks because there was I was experiencing some life trauma at that time. Um, like I said, once I experienced my transformation or my aha moment, then I was able to put pen to paper and fingers to keyboards and complete it. <laughs> That makes sense. When you started writing the book, was anyone in your social or family circle privy that you would be divulging parts of your life that touches upon your relationships with them? No, I actually, I don't think my family even knew until about 2018 because I really just started staying up overnight writing until I just fell off to sleep. And I actually finished it when I was in St. Louis in my parents' house. Um, so I had disclosed that I was writing a book. I don't. I didn't disclose what it was about. 
<laughs> and so I sent out this one. When I was finally done, I sent out this mass text message saying that, you know, this is where you can get my book, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. I did it to my media circle first. I said I want to share it with you guys, my loved ones first. Some of you all are in, will be impacted by the book. All names have been changed to protect the innocent, so don't kill me, but here's my journey. And, Were um, there any strong mm-hmm. reactions that you received? Um, I would say the majority of the feedback, if not all, was very positive. It bridged the gap between me and some of the people that were mentioned in the stories. Um, our relationship was broken, and it kind of got us back on track. It was hard for my mom to finish the book. You know, I was just really waiting on her critique and her opinion. But she didn't finish it for months. And she just like, well, as a parent, reading all of this for the first time, I mean, it, I had to just pace myself. It was a lot. And if you were in my shoes, you would understand. I said, I get it. I get it. But I was just really excited, you know, because it's a project. That's how I was seeing it. Um, I wanted to get my friends and loved ones' opinion and feedback. And it was, it was honest. It was a lot. It was very emotional. But I didn't lose any relationships that I know of yet. <laughs> but there were relationships that were rebuilt because of, you know, just my, my transparency. I believe these type of experiences can only strengthen relationships and unfold the reality of which relationships were authentic to begin with. You touch upon the whole concept of secrets, whether it's secrets coming from within the family or in your own life, without giving anything away to the audiences so they t- uh, take a look into My Life as a Lemon, The Memoirs of Me by F.M. Ellis. In your opinion, when you took a detour sideways with the drinking and waking up, catering to your uh, adventurous and risky lifestyle. Was Mm -hmm. it a response to the secrets that you were holding on to, or was those behaviors a response of coping in regards to the secrets that were made, that were disclosed before you, that were tied back to your family? Um, I would have to say the latter. Um, As I completed the book and started doing interviews and podcasts, I realized there's a similarity amongst people who experience what I experienced in the book and how we deal with certain life trauma. And it is all a coping mechanism. It's unfortunate that I spent so much of my life coping as opposed to addressing and healing from a particular trauma. And um, all those decisions I now know stem from just not not knowing how to manage my emotions, my depression, my shame, my self-hate at times, my anger. It was just a culmination of, it was taboo to talk about stuff like this in my growing up. You see it um, in different documentaries and shows and movies now, but that's just something you really didn't have a conversation about, especially um, when I was presented with this trauma, I was seven years old. I mean, who knows to have a conversation with their kid at this time? So I developed my own way of dealing with things at that age, and it carried me throughout my entire life. And I just, until I got counseling, I operated that way from seven to almost 40. Oh, wow. That is a long extended period of time. In one Mm -hmm. of your chapters, you touch upon where you wake up in your car, you had passed out, and you couldn't recall how you got there. How many Mm -hmm. of those experiences did it take for you to wake up one morning and go, 
why does God let me keep waking up the next day? What's the point of this? That is a, wow. That's a, that's a deep question. Um, you do in the midst of your personal chaos, because I was, you're too embarrassed to share with anybody who wasn't there to see it or witness it. I would say secretly to myself, you know, I have a, I have a bigger calling because as we watch the news and some of us have been impacted personally by people who made one bad decision. As you see in the book, I made a gazillion of them and they are no longer with us from just one bad choice. And so it just came down to, I had a bigger purpose and that purpose wouldn't be exposed to me until I was ready. But in the meantime, I mean, it was just, um, it was a pathology. I just kept doing the same thing over and over. Not that I was expecting anything different. This is just how I operated. And like I said, it wasn't really until counseling and going to a life course called Landmark Education where I first got an, um, to see myself in the mirror, who I was being in the world, how I was showing up. And I thought I was being accountable prior to going to Landmark, but it really put the mirror on me and let me know this is how I'm being and this is how I'm getting this result. Now that I know I can continue with the behavior or I could do something different, but I will never be blind to the fact of how I'm acting. You also cover a heavier topic of contemplating suicide. What led you to that one point in the fork in the road for you to go, okay, maybe it may be time for me to end the story the only way. But because you were also raised in a home influenced by the teachings of Jesus, what talked you out of it? Well, it is, I disclose this in the book. It, I got to that point from a failed relationship and it was a roller coaster ride relationship. My trauma started with a relationship and here I was contemplating in it all because clearly I could not win in relationships and I will always be broken and disappointed and frustrated with my encounters. And you add that with alcohol, which is also a depressant, you're not really in control of your decision. And at one point in life, that contemplating suicide is what gave me peace because I was just like, I'm so tired of trying to figure things out. But then at that same moment, I would just picture my mom, my dad, you know, my kids' face. And I was like, they, I would not want to put the trauma that I'm feeling and depression that I'm feeling on my loved ones. And I know if I follow through, this is what I would be doing. And that, all, even though I would mentally get to the edge, my loved ones, just thinking about them, would never allow me to cross, you know, cross that line. You're also a mother, and now that your children are also privy to your history, have you ever been questioned from your own children where you feel their questions are bold and you're accountable to answer to them as their mother? Um, Both of my daughters did read my book um, very early on when it came out, and even prior, right, I say in October, the book came out in February, but in October we had a very candid conversation about my decision to um, give my youngest daughter up for adoption and then the process of changing my mind in a, you know, a week or so. Um, here I was, this kid in love with the person who really broke me the most, I felt, because I allowed this person to keep coming back and, you know, it became just a horrible pattern. And I, I just wanted nothing to do with him. That included the child. 
And to see my girls, I didn't tell them. Someone else told them, you know, before I had a chance to sit down and have this conversation with them. And I wanted to wait till they were older so I can explain the entire scenario, not just that part. And But someone beat me to it. And it was hard for them to even confront me with it and the the volatility that was in the relationship and everything that I had going on in my life that time. Um, so that was the hardest thing to confront, even before the book came out. So when it came out, we had already discussed it and there was no one bringing it to them. So um, it was trying. It was touching. It was emotional. But I think we it bonded us a little closer because the kids would start saying, okay, now I can see why X, Y, Z. Now I get this. Now I get that. And it just made me feel like even though I had done so much not so good things that this writing the book, releasing my story and being just as transparent as possible uh, with those who confronted me with questions um, was the right thing to do. You touch upon transparency and when we go through our own self-evolution, we have to embrace our own truth. Was it a lifelong process? Are you still in process of embracing your truth or now do you have you embraced it already and now you're living your higher calling? Um, I would definitely say the latter. I've definitely embraced it. Um, I get DMs and phone calls and requests. <laughs> um, now, people were saying that, you know, I really love the fact that you were honest. It's no way in the world I could be that transparent or that authentic in telling people who have no business nor my business, my business. But my comeback is I'll say thank you. But, I mean, my mom, as you read in the book, she is very spiritual, and she believed everything is God sent and that it was my purpose in life to live all of this. So I was strong enough to go through it and tell my story. So I hope being transparent could be a beacon for others to do the same because I'm telling you, it, re, it released me. And I'm in transformation, but transformation to for my higher calling, for my purpose, not to try to figure out the problems that I have been trying to figure out for years. That has been solved. <laughs> so the transformation I'm, now is, was, is, is living the purpose, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Is, what was the biggest lie that you told yourself to get you as far as you could before this transformation started taking place? Ooh, I never thought about that. But we're always telling ourselves a story, right? I guess my biggest lie would have to be that how I was living was acceptable. Um, I should have been embarrassed by some of the things that... Um, I went through by my own making and that I put others through as they tried to assist me out of these holes that I had, <laughs> you know, dug for myself. That was the biggest lie that this is normal and this will all work out. That is a lie. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a purpose, you're going to keep going in circles. And until I, you know, started becoming accountable and facing my demons and 
checking things off the list, um, getting in a different headspace. None of that was ever going to change. So that was the biggest lie. This is normal, and we all go through something, and it'll get better. No, it won't. I had to get better in order for it to get better. One thing I love about faith, faith the name itself, but it's also it has a deeper meaning in your case because it's derived from Fatu. And uh, during mm-hmm. my spiritual journey, I went through a phase where I would study names uh, from a very young age, and I understand that your name means the blessed meaning of it is to abstain and i just found it interesting i'm going here is a soul that is meant to abstain from many adventures and taking risks in life and she has just Mm -hmm. taken a deep dive on the deep end and she knows Mm -hmm. what's going on the real truths of life and mm-hmm. now are, you're at a place where you can mentor other people are you in the process of spreading your message on a worldwide platform beyond your book i have started um a pod well a facebook live called fm friday and what i do is i address a lot of the issues in my book which would include sexual abuse um rape jail um addiction and I, I, my goal is to not just write a book and hide behind the cover, but to actually be in the forefront to fight for change. My purpose now is, if I can, somehow to eradicate um, sexual abuse as reign the rape, abuse, incest, national network states in the United States alone. Every 73 seconds, someone, not just a woman, is a victim of a sexual crime. And I'm just knowing that how how cleaner, how happier, how better would our world be if we all fought to eradicate that? Because a lot of the crimes and a lot of the violence and a lot of the hate that we see stems from people being taken advantage of and without having a voice and being shamed for being a victim. So... Um, I'm, 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 that's my goal. <laughs> that's what I do. I do it every other Friday. The, the wonderful thing here is that in my book, I explain where I've actually been incarcerated a few times. And I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and those, most of those incarcerations in, were in a particular county that I reside in still to this day. And just to see the magnificent works of God in play that same institution that I was once locked up in is working with me, the Special Victims Unit, to do podcasts and empower kids and parents as well on how to help us in the fight to eradicate um, sexual abuse and crime. How cool is that? <laughs> well, it's pretty clear that you've gone through your journey and there, there is the higher purpose that is unfolding before our eyes and you are the messenger and also the advocate of opening up people's eyes because I find it a lo- very conflicting in the society that we live in that there are some topics people talk about so openly they don't even look mm-hmm. the other way. And when it comes to these concerns, people take a step back. They want to turn on the turn on. The- shut the door and pretend mm-hmm. that it doesn't happen whether no matter how honorable a family would be it transcends culture beliefs lifestyles the socioeconomic status this is more of a behavioral I was a behavioral uh, issue mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed and I don't know at what point in time people 
on the back end came together thinking it's okay, it could happen, we just don't have to talk about it. And if we don't talk about mm. it, how will there be a solution? Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And it, it is from it is that message. Writing the book, I had different people were saying there's so many different issues that you face in the book. How do you know which one you want to focus on? It was a no-brainer because this was the first incident. And from, all, from that incident, a lot of other things stemmed. And like I said, in my research and in my conversations, I'm not alone with that. And you are absolutely correct. We do. Now it's okay. It used to be taboo to talk about mental illness. Now we do talk about that. Uh, more resources are being available. Um, but when this, and, and people who suffer from mental illness are now considered victims. They really are. So people look at them with some empathy and some understanding. But my question is, how, or in the, just the U.S. alone, every 73 seconds, someone is dying because a sexual crime or an abuse is the death of the person you once were. And yet this is not considered a pandemic or uh, a terrorist attack. It is very severe and serious. And like you said, it transcends everything. But yet it's kind of like on the back burner because we have built a culture where the victim is questioned and shamed. And I have no idea where that stemmed from. But I'm not going to take my time and waste my time on earth figuring out where it stemmed from. I'm going to spend my time figuring out how we can overcome it and put some um, some laws in place, some classes in school from kindergarten all the way to college where we are empowering, educating our kids and giving them the defense and the, and the confidence if something was to happen physically or just verbally that they could talk about it and it's a system in place that supports them and even the perpetrator because most people who are perpetrators were once victims. And, it's, and we have so many facts on everything, but just having the facts and not acting upon it and really putting change in place, it's just, it's just statistics. <laughs> and it's not helping me, you, or kids or grandkids. And I just know someone told me recently that if you're not involved in a purpose that you will not see materialized in your lifetime, you need a bigger purpose. And I, I know there are people way before me who were fighting for this, and I'm just going to join them in that fight. And hopefully, if not my kids or grandkids see it, that it does materialize. I agree with you. Statistics can only just bring awareness, but without doing something with those statistics, the only thing that changes are those numbers keep rising. As a mm -hmm. mother, given your personal history and you touch upon human self-respect and respecting a person's literal and metaphorical boundaries, what have you taught your daughters of how they should protect themselves in the society that we live in? Well, what I've noticed I've, I've taught them, even without having the conversation, is to be self-expressed, fully self-expressed. And don't be apologetic about it. Like there's no subject that's off limits. You have this one life and your experience could, could change an abundance of others. So if something is happening to you, good or bad, share it. For someone is going to be touched by that. I didn't verbal, verbalize that before the book, but we've had these conversations. The kids have actually come to me and had these conversations since the book has been out. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that in some twisted way that, you know, I played a part in them getting it, understanding it, and looking out, being on the lookout for themselves and their fellow 
human being. While you were going through these traumas, was there any particular person whose judgment that you were afraid of? Because what you're, the trauma must have triumphed the pain compared to the judgment that you could have maybe feared of a particular person. There was, I'm trying to think. I just, okay, the only thing that comes to mind is the initial act um, happened with a family member on my father's side. And me and I'm a daddy's girl, and that was my dude right there, you know. Um, and he he was my everything, and he was, a, he was a dedicated protector. And I didn't want to disclose this to him because I didn't want him. Everybody come, came to my dad with their problems, both financial, life, with all of their problems. I didn't want to give him any another cross to bear. So it wasn't necessarily his judgment. It was just what his reaction would be because this particular person he loved and our family is is close-knit. And I just didn't know what damage that would do to his spirit. Knowing, you know what I'm saying, knowing two people that he loved collided and caused this catastrophe. And he didn't, he wasn't able to prevent it. So was, was there any part of you that felt your dad may have had to pick his child over the other person? Or it was just a matter of, I don't want to be another cross for him to bear. It was strictly, I didn't want to be another cross for him to bear. I had no conflicting doubts that he would not have went too bad for me. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know just how extreme that would have gotten I just didn't want to, I didn't even want to see it play out. He may have done nothing that I saw. He may have done something behind the scenes. I just, it was just that I didn't want to give him anything else to worry about because he had plenty. <laughs> you know, you have that couple of people in the family where everybody goes to them for all of their problems and financial issues and figure this out, and he was one of those people. And he did a great job with being a provider and protector for us, and I just, who was I to add that type of burden to him? In my mind, in my young mind, I figured, hey, I could just, I'll just figure this out on my own. We're and very I did fortunate. for a very long time. <laughs> no, that is very admirable because that demands places within you where you have to seek inner strength, even on days where you wake up and the scene isn't changing, but the feelings keep on coming to the surface and you have to do something about it. You have to answer to yourself, am I going to wake up the next day? And we're very fortunate that you're with us and you survived these twists and turns of the trauma. What advice would you have for any man or woman out there in a similar situation where they could literally be standing on the edge of the cliff, yet they could still save themselves? literally what do they have to lose if they speak up now well one thing i will say is they have to speak up now you have nothing else to lose think about what you've given up already by not seeing this particular incident to closure or at least just getting it off your back you hear a lot of people who say the best therapy they had was writing or going to a meeting and talking about it it may not have had an absolute solution, but just just sharing with others is just like the biggest stress relief in the world. And in your sharing, you are going to help somebody else. I mean, every victim has is transformed into someone that they were not initially meant to be. But you have to just own who you now are. Find your purpose. Remember a time in life when it was exquisite. So that would propel you to say, I'm going to get back to being exquisite. 
whether it was just me, my mom, my dad, or if it's my best friends going on road trips, just think about the best time in your life. And then think about providing that to other people, your story, and allowing yourself to be free and giving that power to someone else is giving them that perfect, exquisite life back. If you went through a trauma, it wasn't all about you, unfortunately. You went through it because somebody else couldn't, and it's your responsibility to free yourself by speaking out and allowing others to free themselves as well. It is the power of the tongue is powerful. (laughs) And touches upon two more quick topics because I believe the audience could benefit from it. Because you had lived through a drinking problem, are you still in alcohol recovery? Did you do the the traditional 12-step program, or were you one of those who woke up and said, I will not touch a drop of alcohol from now on, I'm done? Well, I would say I'm between the two. I was ordered by the courts to go through AA. Um, and of course, I read the book, I went through the program, and there's, with any issue that faces us humans, there's no one fix for all. And when I was going to AA, I also was going to, I started going to landmark education, and they were conflicting in some points in their beliefs. And um, where they conflicted was, as a man, as you think it and as you speak, your words are very powerful. So I could no longer go through the 12-step program because you can, I could not start off by saying I am alcoholic because words are very powerful. You are who you say you are. That's what Landmark taught me. And I am strong. I am healthy. I'm sober is who I choose to say, which goes against the, you know, the 12 steps in the introduction. There's nothing wrong with it. But what was stronger and what I identified with more was Landmark's teaching of their power in the tongue and be very careful about what you say. So, <laughs> Thank you for sharing Thank those you. insights. I ask because I know in the 12 steps, I believe there's one step that entails forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask, how long did it, have you reached that point of forgiving yourself for this journey that inconvenienced you but led you to your higher calling? Mm-hmm. That is a that is a that is a phenomenal question. The crazy thing is, it's well, not the crazy thing. The awesome thing is, both twelve steps and landmark have that in common. You have to forgive yourself, and you have to forgive those who you felt that you have wronged or that have wronged you. Like in landmark, you physically have to write a letter and or pick up a phone and make those calls on our break. In the process of forgiving others. Even when they didn't know you had a problem with them, you are releasing it, and you're in the process of you forget you forgive yourself. You have sometimes I did forgive myself. I guess the short answer is yes, I did, <laughs> and I only was able to forgive myself because I am no longer that person. I don't even have those particular decision making traits. You know, um, I'm sure they're lying dormant, but I have no use for them anymore. And finally, Miss Faye, because in your book, My Life as a Lemon, the memoirs of me, the, the root story surrounds secrets. And I don't think anyone else in the world will have a leg up over secrets when it comes to you. <laughs> what can you share with audiences that may be harboring secrets? but they're afraid to face them head on and it's consuming their life. They may not be coping with it in similar ways as you have, but they have to find a release in order to live their best 
life? Hmm. Um, well, a little bit is what I just stated. There's no one cure-all for, you know, the human race uh, problem that the human race faces, And we all have secrets. And some secrets are worth keeping because maybe you're protecting someone else. They're just secrets that you know about someone else, you know? <laughs> so everything is not to be disclosed. Right. I would, I would suggest if you have some type of spiritual connection that you pray about, what should be divulged, what should be accepted, and um, what should be just, you know, forgiven or just, you know, don't deal with it. But those that keep bubbling, when you say the word secret, you know which ones you need to work on because anyone listening, when you brought up secrets, and I say the word secrets, whatever populates in your mind, that's the thing you need to work on and confront. No one can tell you which one of your secrets needs to be addressed, but you know, you know, what, whatever popped, bubbled up for you, seek some counseling, listen to motivational tapes, sermons, whatever it is that allow you to no longer be trapped by it. You may have to divulge it just through writing a letter that you never mail. But whatever you need to do to release yourself, drop that, that barbell of a weight and solar. Do it. And given your personal life experiences and your journey so far and also your the complex relationships in on a local and state level that you host and now you are the spokesperson for human rights in a sense, has your personal relationship with your creator in terms of faith strengthened over time or does it remain neutral? What keeps you going day to day? Well, one thing that I started doing years ago before this before I even finished the book and transformation Change is instant, but transformation could take a while, you know, like the butterfly. <laughs> um, so starting to listen, I started a daily, a morning ritual, which included waking up, reading the scripture, listening to a sermon, um, and or a motivational um, speech, usually on YouTube. Um, and then I use, I subscribe to my personal automotive University, meaning when I'm in my car, I no longer listen to like radio or anything like that. I'll listen to an audio book or another sermon or motivational speech. I just did what I could do to change my thought process. It didn't cost any money. It was just the time. It was I just used my time differently and set myself up to have different thoughts. And that stuff eventually seeped in from my ears down into my soul, into my mind, and it started becoming, I started talking and living and breathing these things that I was, I was hearing and surrounding myself by, just like in the past. I was drinking, fornicating, doing all of that because that's what I allowed to seep into my soul. So um, changing my schedule allowed me to, changing my schedule and my habits just allowed me to be on this phone call with you right now. <laughs> And hopefully touching some people and um, letting them know how they can make a difference just by small daily habits, positive habits. Well, Faye, we're fortunate to have you fill our glass half full with your blessings and your insights today. Please share with audiences how they can reach you directly. Absolutely. Well, I always encourage anyone to subscribe. If you go to fmellis.com, 
That's F is in Stay, M is in Marie, Ellis.com, and subscribe. I have a bi-weekly newsletter, and there's a lot of resources for, you know, sexual abuse, addictions, even financial information, links to audio books and motivational speeches, um, and just, you know, business tips. So if you subscribe, you can keep up with me as the as we started to gradually exit the pandemic, different appearances, um, speaking engagements, and how you can actually help and participate in the change um, that it is I would like to see in the world by eradicating sexual um, crimes and abuse. I would love for everybody to be a participant. Also, if you subscribe, you'll know when FM Fridays on Facebook Live is going to air, so you can um, tune in. Just make your part of the world a better place. Thank you, Faye, and we hope to learn more about your future works, and hopefully you'll join us again on Moving Mountains. Thank you. Absolutely. And we wish you well in your journey. 